have some that are visiting with us because of Pastor Joe's class joining us. So we are studying God the Holy Spirit in our class. Uh, just very quickly, a couple of review statements. Uh, we have studied the fact that the Holy Spirit is a person. He has intellect, emotion, and will. Not just a power or some type of a special presence, but in fact a person. He is 100% God. We talked about early on in our discussion, we talked about the relationships within the Trinity. The Trinity as it exists is, is co-eternal, co-existent, co-equal, but the members of the Trinity have uh, different responsibilities, different missions, different tasks that they uh, carry on within the will of God, with the decree of God. Studied for a while and observed a lot of scripture passage from the Old Testament, uh, noting that the Holy Spirit was very active in the Old Testament. Um, we don't find quite the, the idea of the level of, of uh, specific references in the Old Testament as we la- later do in the New Testament. This obviously fits along with concepts of progressive revelation. More recently, we have taken and looked at a whole bunch of scripture verses of the Holy Spirit's ministry in general in the, Old, in the New Testament, uh, also noting in that time that those things that are recorded in the Gospels are technically before the cross, and so technically under that uh, time. Also, uh, just finishing up now, a uh, look at the Holy Spirit and the ministry of Christ in a partnership ministry. I've uh, been uh, sharing with the class not to think about this as something that the Holy Spirit, um, excuse me, that Christ needed, that he had to have the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but more the idea of a teamwork ministry between the two members of the Godhead. So this morning we'll pick up with looking at some references here that we were, didn't get to last week. Uh, on, if you're looking at your handout, it's underneath the matters of Christ's miracles on his own p- power. The sheet has Christ preaching, and then Christ's miracles, and Christ's miracles on his own power. Um, And so if you'll turn to a couple references with me, please, Uh, Mark chapter 5. And verse 30, I'm going to pick up, I'll pick up with reading verse (coughs) 29. Mark uh, chapter 5, verse 29, Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging, thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. So we just see here that there's no reference in the particular passage to this Holy Spirit being involved in this particular uh, miraculous event, and so this power goes out of the body of Christ on its own from Christ. And then uh, just another passage that's, I think, a repetition of that passage, Luke chapter 5. In verse 17... Yeah, this is a different. Um, now, this is the. Now, it happened on a certain day, reading verse 17 
Um, as he was teaching it, there were Pharisees and teachers of this law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought out on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find out how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to them, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And again, just a reference, just uh, without a specific reference to the Holy Spirit being involved in this. We're going to move on past that uh, section. Um, noted a couple of things here. One is the, what I just mentioned about the, the ministry, the two members of the Godhead together. Gave you a quote from John Walver's book on the Holy Spirit. And if you'll turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. And I'll pick up with reading verse 11. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place, once for all having obtained eternal redemption. For the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And just simply a verse, just again to indicate that teamwork ministry between these two members of the Godhead. And we see the cross work, we probably just focus on the person of Christ in that dying on the cross for our sins, but we see here that the Holy Spirit in some fashion, um, again many of these things are sort of beyond our ability to describe or put into uh, words, but the, the, this, the offering of himself was through the power of the Spirit. And it does very carefully here identify the Spirit as being the eternal Spirit. Uh, so a reference to the Holy Spirit. And then finally for this particular section of the matter of the Holy Spirit in the ministry of, of Christ, uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Again, well, this is just sort of adding, finishing up what we've been looking at for the last uh, two or three weeks. In Revelation chapter, excuse me, Romans chapter 1 um, and verse 4. Um, I'll read from verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom also are called of Jesus Christ. And so again we see the spirit of holiness or the Holy Spirit uh, involved in the resurrect Christ's resurrection from the dead. And there are, again, some other references there. Turn with me to 1 Peter 
<clears throat> for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the spirit, but made alive, excuse me, put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the spirit. Now, I think some of you may have an English version that simply puts the word spirit there as a small letter, a small S. Um, I do believe it, it is a cap, should be a capital S in that particular context. Um, so just, again, one of those places, again, I remind you that when I've suggested to you this in a couple other places, that it is the same word in the original language, uh, either translated with a capital S or a, or a small S, uh, S, so it's not a, a matter of the text or anything, it's just a matter of translator's interpretation. And my, my thoughts as I read this passage is it's, it's not just a contrast between our flesh and our spirit. It's a contrast between what is flesh or what is mortal and what is not. And that would be the Holy Spirit himself. So I believe that this is properly uh, rendered with a capital S uh, rather than a small S. So just a thought. So again, the Holy Spirit involved in this matter. And again, another quote, this, this particular quote from William Hendrickson uh, from the Gospel of John about, again, the, the ministry between the two persons of the Godhead. And turn with me now to John chapter 14. This is a uh, passage I guess I've looked forward to get, getting to for a few weeks since we actually started this, this uh, passage here, this study in the God, the Holy Spirit. Um, I've suggested to the class, I think, as a whole, that you might want to read this section um, along the way. I've had individuals ask me, you know, what, what particular sections should I be reading? And, you know, I can tell them from Genesis 1 to, to Revelation, but that doesn't work usually for most people. So I've suggested they read John 14 through 16 and meditate on the, this passage that we have here. Um, as you I know are familiar with at least portions of this passage, if not all the passage. Uh, it is a very personal passage. Um, what I would refer, refer to as a very intimate passage, a, very, a passage very, of close family relationships. Um, it is unique to the book of John, and it um, has th running all the way through chapters 14 through, through 16, and, and this isn't just isolated of these passages, but it has this thread running all the way through it of Christ's concern for his disciples. He knows that he's leaving these disciples very quickly. He knows what they're going to be left with and where they're, what they're going to be surrounded by uh, after uh, his death, burial, and resurrection. And so he has this uh, really, really great concern for the disciples along the way. <clears throat> so um, I'm going to read the first few verses of the chapter. I know they're very familiar verses, but Again, just remind us of what we have in this particular passage. This is Christ speaking. Um, we'll pick up with verse 38 from chapter 13. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on you would know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. So again, very familiar passage, Christ announcing the, the preparation of a place, a home, an eternal home for these disciples, and a home that we anticipate if we have trusted in Christ to save us from our sins. And, but in the midst of all that these disciples are understanding, there are still these questions they just don't have figured out. They haven't worked out all the answers in their minds yet. And that is reflected here in both Thomas and, and Philip's comments or observations that are made. So there's just a lot to be learned yet on their part, a lot of understanding and comprehension that they need to come to. I'm going to read a couple more verses. Jesus, in verse 9, said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. And I just point these two verses out just again to focus our minds, focus our thoughts on this very, very close relationship that Christ is reflecting on here between himself and, and God the Father. Uh, again, it's, they have this relationship that... Um, as I, m- I mentioned, I think maybe just last week, when, a couple of years ago when I did the study on the Trinity, um, it just really brought to a surface, brought sort of to a point, of pe- a peak, you know, sort of a pinnacle type thing for me, just, just this whole relationship between the three persons of the Godhead. And, and, what I, and what we can't comprehend, and what we can comprehend, and what we can't appreciate. And so we see here again Christ leaving these disciples with this very pointed and clear message. Notice it even started back in the earlier chapter. He, he was going to his father's house. He's going to his father's house to prepare a place for them. Uh, and it just all just comes together, just this very rich personal relationship between these two persons of the Godhead. And the reason I, I say all that is because of the fact that what we're going to get to in just a, in a verse or two here in this, in this context. And then reading on down in verse 12, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Notice that they are promised the opportunity to do great, greater works. Now we believe that those works that are identified in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 as the works of the apostles are works that were limited in time, that they were uh, indicators of the validity of Christ, the validity of the apostles' ministry, and who they were truly representing uh, representing God um, themselves. But nevertheless, they were given the ability to do greater works. Now, stop and think about that for just a second. I can't give you a long time to think about it. Just think and reflect on that, okay? These disciples had participated in all the things that we find recorded uh, in the Scripture. And the book of John itself says there was many more things he did. That uh, if if John had just kept writing them, 
he would have ran out of space to write them. And so they have all those things in their mind. I mean, yes, they're going to have forgotten some things. Yes, they're going to be uh, fuzzy on some details and fuzzy on some conclusion, theological conclusions. But they have witnessed and walked with and talked with Christ during this time. And, and here they're being told that there's something even bigger, something even better from a perspective of maybe from a human perspective of amazement and, and uh, and so forth, that they're going to participate in. And so these are the things that, that he's directing them to along the way. And then uh, I'm going to go down and take you down to verse 16. Um, if, if you remember, the verses, some of the verses I just read talk about asking things, asking uh, whatever you ask in my name that I will do and so forth. Uh, there are two different words that uh, represent this word asking. One of them is the sense of someone that, of a lower position asking someone of a higher position for something. It, it could be illustrated as simply as a child asking a parent for something. Uh, that parent is in a position to give what that child's asking for. A child can't reach the sink yet and they ask the parent for a drink. Something as simple as that. But it would be that word that that child would use when he was asking his, his mother for something. And then as we move down to verse 16 of this passage, I will again read verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. So in verse 16, and I'm reading again from the New King James, um, it says, I will pray the Father. Uh, some of you, I think, have the word ask in that particular verse also. It's appropriately translated by the word ask. It, that, that is fine. Uh, but it is a different word. And it is a word that re- represents asking something of an equal. And so even in the very careful choice of language, choice of vocabulary that John uses in this setting, he is, again, in indicating to the disciples, indicating to us, as we have the, the Word of God here much later, uh, he is indicating the fact that Christ the Son is asking God the Father something, and it is something, and it is an exchange that's taking place between, between two, two equals. So just, again, subtly in the, in the, in the text that we, that we find something, something like that. But notice he says here that he's going to ask the Father for another helper, okay? Um, First of all, we'll talk about uh, the word helper to begin with. Um, This is the word, some of you may have the word paraclete uh, there. Uh, That is, uh, the word paraclete is just a transliteration. It's just taking the Greek word, uh, taking the sounds of the Greek word and giving it English letters and putting it, it down here, okay? So... The paraclete comes from, a, from the word, Greek word parakaleo, and, and you've all, again, all probably heard all this along the way somewhere, but this word paraclete or, or parakaleo, it's a word that sometimes it or the noun form of the word, sometimes in the New Testament it's translated by the word encouragement, sometimes it's translated by the word exhortation. Now, it, that may in, may in a sense seem as opposing words or opposing concepts that either be encouraged by something or exhorted by something. But if we think about it from the vantage point of 
the, the word itself means to call alongside, okay? So this, this one that Christ is going to ask the Father of is going to come alongside, and, and even more so than that, but it, it will indwell. But this one is going to come alongside these believers to be an encouragement to them and to be an, an exhorter to them at times, okay? So uh, just f- try to follow this illustration a little bit with you. So... Um, so, so let's just imagine, uh, we'll back up a few years, my son, who is now bigger than I am, and, and would he be the one helping me, but uh, back up a few years and make him a little bit smaller, okay? And we're, we're walking up a hill, and we're walking, and walking up that hill, we're walking alongside a road, and there are cars on this road. So we're walking up along the hill, and my son says to me, Dad, I'm tired, okay? So... I, I slow down my walk, I let him catch up with me, and I either offer my hand to him or maybe I put my hand on his back, or in some way I'm prepared to assist him, to encourage him. That happens because he's been called alongside of me. And so, so I'm able to encourage him because he's called alongside of me. Now let's just go on to imagine that my son... Uh, just might have decided that he would rather walk in the lane in the middle of the road than to walk alongside the road because, of course, the berm of the road is not always the smoothest place to walk. So he decides to walk out in the middle of the road. And in that particular case, I also call him to my side because it's a safer place to be is to be by my side. And, but in doing that, I am actually exhorting him. I'm calling him from what he's doing to come alongside of me, to be where I'm supposed to be. So the same word, call alongside, the same idea of being called alongside could either be an encouragement or an exhortation depending on where the person is that the Holy Spirit's ministering to. Okay? So you and I both know that there are times when the Holy Spirit convicts us. He exhorts us. He tells us that what we're thinking or what we're doing is not biblical, and we need to think biblically. Scripture also many times shows us how the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us and encourages us, helps us along the way, offers us that, that strength, that, in, that ability to do something that we could not otherwise do. And so this paraclete, this helper that's described here in the New King James is in fact someone that calls us alongside either to encourage us or to sometimes exhort us, or maybe, some, maybe it's to exhort us and sometimes encourage us, I guess, depending on your perspective. The other thing that's noted here is that this is a helper, another you, another helper. Now, that seems simple enough, no big deal, uh, just, just another helper. But again, there are um, uh, two different words that are translated by other or another in, from the original language into our language. One of them is a, another of a different kind, and another, the other word is another of the same kind. The word different, another of a different kind is the word we get the word heteros from. Okay? So you have put it probably the most common use of that word. It's heterosexual, so it's opposite genders. It's the same. We're still humans, but we're not the same. Okay? The other word is the word alas, which we get the word we get the word our English word ally from, and so that's another of the same kind. 
So Christ very specifically says that this helper is going to be another of the same kind. The same kind as who? The same kind as Jesus. Just as Jesus was with those disciples during that earthly ministry and encouraged them and exhorted them and did whatever else was necessary for them, this helper is going to do the same. He is going to help. And something that I have, who knows how many times I've read it before. I don't know if this ever happens to you, but as I was reading this verse in sometime in the last couple of weeks, um, realized that I had sort of got to the end of the verse sometimes and just sort of skipped over it. What's the last word that you have in verse 16? Forever. Forever. Um, I mean, I believe that. I know that theologically. But for whatever reason, when I, I was just reading it recently, and it was like, oh, looky there. I just, I guess I've just jumped from the one word to the next word and didn't pay any attention to that word. But forever, unto the age, into eternity. Uh, that's, how, that's how long this other helper is going to be given to these disciples forever. For, for whatever, however long they need him, for however long they're here ministering, this other helper will be there with them, be there alongside of them to, to be helpful to them. And then Christ goes on to describe, of course it's divided up by a verse for us, but not necessarily as Christ stated it. But this one is going to be referred to as the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now we'll talk about that just a, a right while we're here right now. Um, so right now the language, the text very clearly is saying that the Holy Spirit is with them even though Christ is also with them. And he is more, or less, more alongside of them. And then it talks about him being uh, in them. Um, back to my dwells, for now he dwells with you and will be in you, and that is a, a stated fact that's going to take place. Uh, so Christ, again, here is promising them something that they probably didn't understand at this particular point, but it's something that he is, that it's included in his promise. The helper is going to come alongside. He's now with them, but he will actually end up being in them. And so, again, a reference to the upcoming indwelling of the Spirit. I will just say to you that we're going to, um, in a later study, we are going to talk about some of the, uh, what for me at least is unanswered questions uh, concerning indwelling of the Old Testament saint, regeneration of the Old Testament. The regeneration is not really an issue for me. I believe the Old Testament saint was regenerated. Uh, but I don't understand all that is involved in, and not sure that by the time I get there in two or three weeks that I'll be ready to tell you any more than I know now. But, but there's some sense these believers, we cannot sell the Old Testament believers short. We cannot shortchange them. We cannot make them impoverished believers. That just is not fair to the Scripture or fair, fair to them. But he makes this comment to them. Um, the other thing, that, again, that he's referred to as the spirit of truth here. Uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says that the, the world is not going to be able to receive him. And again, probably a familiar passage, but 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I'll read verse 13. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual 
But the natural man, or the unsaved man, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And that goes back, again, to the passage there in John chapter 14, if you will go back there, uh, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But he indicates, Christ indicates to these disciples that they did, that they did know him. Christ indicates here in the text that he's not going to leave them orphans in verse 18. Again, just a matter of reminding them of his care for them and his love, his concern for them along, along the way. Um, we're going to move on to John chapter 15. Um, again, uh, a lot of introductory information here that I don't have time or intend to cover as far as the... Uh, Story, the story about the vine and the branches, etc. But in verse 15, let me take you to, to verse 15 of John 15. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you could go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Now back in the story of the vine and the branches, one of the things that Christ talks about in that account also is a matter of bearing fruit. Um, I will tell you that I think the primary fruit that is being referred to both in this passage and these two different instances is actually what we will refer to as the fruit of the Spirit, which we'll talk about again, in a later context when we talk about the Holy Spirit's direct ministry to us as believers. And one of those ministries he does is producing fruit in our lives. And so that, I believe that is the primary uh, emphasis here. But he goes on here and takes him from being a slave, a servant, to being a friend. I know I, I, I sat and tried to reflect on this. I tried to put myself in this position, but I just I couldn't do it. Um, we sometimes try to talk about the difference between an employer and employee. Um, it might be just the tiniest little bit of a, it's like opening a door, a little tiny crack to, to understand this difference between a master and a slave and, two, and then two friends. Instead of being a master and a slave any longer, we have two friends. Um, we have just been so far removed from that um, concept, that mentality that we can work really, really, really hard at understanding that uh, we're also uh, slaves to Christ, where Paul describes himself as a bondservant on numerous occasions. Uh, we can try to capture the impact that has on our lives to, to go from being independently-minded Americans uh, to actually being in subjection to someone who, who has the authority and the ability to control our lives, to govern our lives. Um, but nevertheless, it is a fact. It's just hard for us to get close to it, let alone embrace it. Uh, but and my whole point here is, is just saying I, I just, it's difficult for me to really appreciate what these disciples must have heard 
when they heard that. No longer going to call you a servant. I'm going to call you my friend. Now, this wasn't just a master teacher that was bringing them into friendship. This wasn't just somebody that had more money than they had, which he didn't have. But it is someone that they recognized as being God, as being God himself. And this one that's God himself says to these men, we are no longer going to have, and again, we're still slaves, okay? But he's saying to them, you're my friend. We have that type of a very, very close relationship. And again, from the beginning of going and preparing a place for them, of of being concerned about Thomas and Philip and so forth and so on, all of this surrounds this context of Christ giving this other helper, this other paraclete, okay? So it's all couched in this rich uh, environment of this love and, and caring relationship between Christ and the disciples. That's, that's what I'm trying to get you to also to appreciate here. This isn't just some type of academic endeavor. This isn't just checking off a box. All the will of God says today, well, I'm supposed to... I'm supposed to tell them about the, the other helper that's going to come or, or whatever. It's not just that type of approach. It is this approach of Christ who loved his disciples so much and now he is going to leave them physically. But he is extending to them this gift of this other helper uh, that's going to be so special and so real to them and so, so necessary to them. As they, move, as they move along and as they continue to move through their ministry. Sometimes it's things like this that I don't know how to really convey them for you. If you don't take the time to open your heart and sort of allow your whole being, your intellect, your emotion, and your will to interact with, with these truths, because uh, it, it, it's, it's more than just academic knowledge. It's more than just being able to recount facts. It's really trying to understand and comprehend what is happening within the text, within the text itself. And down in chapter 15, verse 26, we'll move down there. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify me. And you also bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. And so this one is going to come, uh, again, the, the Helper, the Paraclete, um, does, by the way, does that, anybody have a different word there? Somebody know some of you have paraclete, some of you have helper. Anybody have a different word? Comforter. Okay, just curious as whether um, you, there was something else there. Again, he's identified as the spirit of truth. In this case, he's going to testify of Christ. Okay. So what is what is involved in testifying? What is involved in this idea of witnessing? Maybe you have the word witness there. Uh, what is involved in somebody giving a testimony or, or presenting a witness? Not a hard question. It's not meant to be a uh, stumbling block or anything. Just, John, simply, quickly. Telling the truth okay. about the experience. Telling the truth about the experience. Okay. Anyone else? What does telling the truth about an experience also do? Think the opposite now. 
It exposes the error, right? If you're telling the truth, you've got the truth, and then that, that exposes that anything else that's being said about something is, is the error. So the Holy Spirit's going to come, and his ministry, as recorded here in this particular text, is going to be to bear witness or to give testimony of Christ, okay? This, by the word, way the, this word is the word that comes over later in our English language by the word martyr. Now, we'd all be much happier not having to be the, end up being a martyr in the process of our witnessing, but that is, that is the strength that this word carries with it, that it was later brought over to, to represent someone who actually ends up losing their life in the process of testifying, okay? So that's what this, this uh, spirit of truth here, the, the helper, the paraclete, is going to testify of Christ, okay? Going to bear witness of Christ. In doing that, he will present the truth, and in doing that, he will also expose whatever error is being uh, presented. As we know, it didn't take long um, from reading the New Testament epistles. It didn't take long for error to creep into the, to the biblical doctrine, into the biblical account, and so the Holy Spirit is going to to do that. But note again, and I don't think we can overemphasize it, but notice, note again that his ministry is going to be test, to testify of Christ, not to testify himself, not to, not to focus on who he is. Not, that's not the Holy Spirit's ministry. The Holy Spirit's ministry is, is to focus on Christ and, and to follow that through. But notice what happens now as a result of this. Notice that these Disciples are also going to be able to bear witness. And part of the reason they're going to be able to bear witness is because they've been, they have been with him from the beginning. Now, I hear once in a while, you know, things said about eyewitnesses or whatever, but these men as a collective group are going to be able to collectively give a witness, give a testimony to the experiences that they had with Christ or the things that Christ taught them and the things that they observed in the days of walking and talking and living with him, they're going to be able to bear witness of that. It's not going to be like, well, we met him, you know, in the upper room. We had a, an hour-long conversation with him, and this is, what we, this is what we're going to tell you about him. No, this is going to be from the time he calls the fishermen away from their fishing nets, from Matthew away from his uh, tax-collecting uh, location, these men are going to tell a story that indicates the reality of who Jesus Christ is and the transforming power that Jesus Christ has in individual lives. And so that is where we're at. I'll turn with me just in closing, just over a few pages in your scripture. And We find here, and I, I'll just pick up with verse 6, Acts chapter 1. Excuse me, I don't know if I said a chapter. Acts chapter 1. I'll read verse 6. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And I don't think the two, in, two events from Christ's words in John chapter 15 to Christ's words here in Acts chapter 1 are so f 
far separated because they're not. They're very close together in time that these disciples could not connect what Christ says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 back to what he said in John 15 at the end of the chapter. And that is that these disciples, because the Spirit has come upon them and the Spirit is with them, will be able to witness, bear witness concerning Christ into the future. So again, please uh, consider maybe looking through the passage. We'll, we'll look at the, well, chapter 16 next week. Uh, look through the passage. Just sort of again try to reflect on this personal relationship, this personal deep love that is, that is reflected here and Christ's concern for these disciples. And part of the solution of that concern is to provide them with this other helper or this other paraclete, the Holy Spirit of truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to be together this morning. Thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is alive. It's powerful. It's sharpened into it. It's sword. It changes lives. <clears throat> allow us, Father, to bow ourselves before you and allow your word to change us. We thank you for your dear son who loved us and gave himself for us and even today ever lives to make intercession for us. And for the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, we thank you for what he is able to do in our lives. We thank you for bringing us out of our darkness into your marvelous light. In Jesus' name, amen.